Microphone check, one, two, one, two. Back live and in effect. Your man Kyle Means, editorial director of War Media, WeAreRegalRadio.com, and all interests of such a nature. Right here with the Endoscope Podcast, back for another week of hot takes and cool, cool conversation with the one and only Joshua M. Hicks doing his thing as always with the podcast and the column. Just, uh, you know, uh, another week of interesting takes from you, man. We got another uh, column coming fresh from you uh, here on Friday. And, uh, you know, as we, as we always do, we put the podcast out to, uh, to, to supplement the, the column and uh, to you know, make the people understand even more, overstand as it, as it were, you know, get to really get what you're saying. And this week uh, is another pretty deep conversation that you that you're setting up for everyone. Uh, you know, has to do with the the discussion of ownership and the label of ownership. The you know what what does that really mean in sports? And uh, some people want to get rid of that term. And uh, you know, call for something else to be to be said in, in that in that relationship between people who uh, you know own teams who uh, hold the major shares of these these uh, these teams and uh, the players who work for these for these uh, so-called owners. So you know, uh, Josh, hit us off. You know, first off, you know, let us know how you doing, man, and 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 hit us off. With uh, your opinion of uh, you know that this own whole ownership deal. Yeah, man, life is good. I'm just staying busy, grinding as always, and doing everything that we're supposed to do to obviously make more media what more media really is about. And that's all about talk about the controversial topics as well as bringing the entertainment aspects and promoting our opinions in all aspects and in all sports and. With me and my specific column, mainly covering around the NBA and social justice issues. Uh, this this week, we got another uh, social justice issue that combines with the NBA. And the NBA has always been a league that's very supportive of social justice. We talk about it all the time, about how the NBA has been very advanced when it comes to supporting social justice and diversity. But um, this situation brings up another demographic that, quite frankly, the NBA isn't fully on board or fully on top of. And that's the term of ownership and the diversity that it lacks when it comes to owners within the league. Um, Draymond Green came out on the LeBron James show, The Shop, last season. And he talked about how the league should eliminate this term owner um, and change it to, you know, terms of a CEO or chairman or some other type of leadership role that shows that they are in control of a company or of a group but not necessarily own the group. Because when you talk about ownership, ownership is defined um, as someone who owns something or has the legal or rightful title to something or or another, or another term for it is basically owning property. If you're talking about from a historical concept in a historical context, Green, Draymond actually has a point to that. For years, slavery, and during the slavery period, slaves were known or thought of and viewed of as property. 
And because of that, they've actually became a legit economic system to where if a white owner technically owned a lot of slaves, you were the big, you were the top top, you were the top guy within that country, you were the top guy within that state, you were the top guy in that land. And it, you, and that, and that term ownership or owning something as property, you had a lot of property, you had a lot of wealth, you had a lot of wealth, you aided to the capitalistic system in which we know of in America today. So, and, and, and many can argue, quite frankly, that this capitalistic idea and the term ownership when it comes to slavery or race or when it comes to sort of, sort of racism in today's time, it's still, it's still relevant. Um, a prime example of this is technically the 13th Amendment. If you watch the documentary on Netflix called 13, it talks about how historically over time they utilize the amendment to, not, uh, to transform institutional racism. To where it may not be blatant to be Jim to have a Jim Crow type of concept where it says whites and blacks are separate, but the same. But they transform it to where blacks now have a easier route to go to jail or get killed by police compared to any other white any other race in the country, and more specifically the white race. So this topic has a historical context to it. And another person that was on that show, John Stewart, actually agreed with that. As a matter of fact, his exact quote was, when your product is purely the labor, it's purely the labor of people, then owner sounds like something that is of a feudal nature. So when you view it as a white man having lots of money looking down on black players and basically telling them that I own you, you work for me, I own you, I paid you, it may not come off as accepting or pleasing. So... Um, within this initiative, the fact that the NBA is discussing it is already uh, exceed expectations from other uh, leagues, you know, other professional leagues. And as a matter of fact, there's actually a few NBA teams that have fixed this issue or and addressed it in ways to where it's relatable to their players. The Philadelphia 76ers have changed their names from owners to managing partners. Steve Ballmer, which is the actual owner of the Clippers, on their he puts it listed on their website as the chairman. Instead of the actual owner, and as if you, and according to Adam Silver, the owners are actually called governors. There's a board of governors that he calls them because he doesn't want to necessarily call them as owners. So this concept of ownership is a really touchy is a really touchy um, discussion. Um, Stephen Jackson, former NBA player, current FS1 and ESPN NBA analyst, he recently uh, talked on the jump and saying he actually wants to keep the title. Because he's doing it as in, if I own something, I work for what I have. But that's also a touchy uh, subject as well, because not not every owner in the league actually works for their money. A lot of it is hereditary. A lot of it is from a family tradition, applying to where their ancestors and their grandparents and their parents worked to do something to where they were just given to them, and they're running off of that off of that um off of that financial gain. And when you talk about that aspect compared to the African-American community, um, it's, it's very limited when it comes to blacks wanting to serve and uh, wanting to have that type of income at the tips of their fingers. It's a lot different comparing it to a more predominantly white family, which has more easier ties to that uh, type of financial gain. So with all that being said to this, 
it's a great discussion to have. And it is a touchy subject that not many people are willing to touch on. So for the NBA themselves, I applaud them for at least considering um, this have at least considering bringing this option to the table and having to discuss them on the league. And, and I applaud the teams that actually took the initiative to want to make those changes to support the players. But in a league that's 70, over 70% African-American players and coaches, you had to have more, diverse, more than one NBA owner that's black. That's just the bottom line. And there's, other, and there's multiple suitors out there that can fill that role besides Michael Jordan. But that's something that the league has to look into. And I don't know specifically how it can get done, considering the fact that as long as you have the money on the team, when you pay for the team, basically, then that's your reign. You basically don't lose that entitlement until you mess up and do something wrong, unless you're like Donald Sterling. Or more recently, with the Golden State Warriors owner that had the incident with Kyle Lowry and now he's being banned for a year. You know, you have to do something pretty bad to basically lose that title in the NBA or lose your share in the NBA. So, I don't know how that can be solved, but the discussion needs to be had because if you have more African-American uh, owners within the league, you may have a better e- or easier type of relationship with guys like Draymond Green who, said, who can relate to people that relate to their peers more than just as owners but someone as like a co-partner or um, or co-worker per se because of the fact that they have that rapport that not many players actually have with people that own it. Yeah, Josh, I, I definitely agree with you on a lot of your points there. And I'm glad you brought up the whole incident with the uh, the part owner or the minority owner, as it were, of the uh, Golden State Warriors and his, uh, you, know, uh, t- you know, touching and, you know, arguably assaulting Kyle Lowry during game three of the finals yesterday. Uh, that's something that uh, a lot of people, I think, looked at as an act of, you know, act done from a, a, a privilege, a, a point of privilege and or entitlement that, uh, you know, really is uh, really the type of thing that people don't really want to see anymore involved with sports and involved with, you know, white people over over uh, people of color. It's just not the type of thing that people want to see anymore. And I think, uh, you know, it's the type of thing that you know, when you if you're coming from the point of view of an owner, or quote a so-called owner and a, and an athlete, you know it just because you're in that position, it doesn't entitle you to do whatever you want to to a person's uh, body or treat a person however you want. You know, we learned that lesson uh, drastically, clearly with with the the saga of Donald Sterling, the way that he would abuse players of the, on the Clippers you know watching them in the shower doing calling them all sorts of names and treating them as much like you know at the way you draw back on it you know uh, very very vividly Josh going back to slavery it goes back to the mind state of uh, black men as chattel that that we were once seen as in regards to our, our relationships with the people who owned us you know legally and, and those were white people. And, you know, people don't want to go back to that, of course. But we still have so much that we're dealing with in our society where we're seen as second class citizens. And, you know, that's that stuff is not being, uh, you know, it's not going to be uh, held. You know, it's not we're not going to stand for it, essentially. And 
I think in, in, a, in a realm like sports where so much can be, so much is representative, it's not like, you know, you know, politics where you can actually, uh, you know, get things done in regards to a law, law level or legal, legal level or administrative level. You know, you're mostly just doing things that represent how people feel in sports, but it, it can be significant. And the NBA, like you said, has a long history of doing things that, you know, uh, affects culture and affects the way that we see things in our society. And, you know, for them to take up this, this, uh, you know, this cause, as it were, I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I could foresee the NBA really making a change in the way that we, uh, you know, that we, pre- that we really show uh, owners and, and the way that we depict them in, in as media in, in the greater sense of society in the greater sense of media I think a lot of what it comes down to is semantics and you know it, the, at we as media members we have perpetrated the idea of ownership as you know this is what you know because you own a team you because you have the major shares of a team, you are, you're an owner. And you own it just like you own a, a piece of property or anything else. And that is the case in sort of a legal sense, where you own intellectual property, you own logos, you own, you know, uh, you may own a building, you may own a stadium, you may own, you, you own uh, the things that represent this team but you don't own the actual team. You don't own the actual players themselves. They are, they are uh, workers. Of, they are people who are under you in a certain manner. But you don't own them. This is in no way and no more of a sense than you know we are owned by the people who we work for. So it's we have we have to make sure that uh, you know in regards to sports that we don't. You know that that we let sports keep up with the progression that we have to give give ourselves as a society. You know, you wouldn't say that you're owned that you're owned by your by your boss at work. So we shouldn't say that Draymond Green or Kyle Lowry is owned by their boss. They're just their boss. They're they're their there's they're the uh, chairman, they're the CEO, they're the president, just like we, uh, you know, same labels that we give to people who own corporations and such all across the country and in and, and all industries, all other industries. We do, we do a lot to portray the whole uh, relationship of athletes to, to the people who you know, they work for as a as an owner. You know, we use the term owner, and we we depict it as it depicted as such. Even in, in spite of the progresses, the progressions that have been made with uh, athletes, um, and you know the, the the added freedoms that they have gained over over the years, and you know we still have this whole thing where you know they're they they've gained so much freedom and so much. Uh, Oh, uh, authorship over their careers, but they still 
they still have to answer to these other people in a way that the average person really doesn't have to answer to their to their boss. You know, and in the end, you know, uh, you know, uh, Draymond Green is not owned by Joe Lacob and and the, the, whoever else owns the Warriors no more than I'm owned by the person who I work for. You know, same goes for Kyle Lowry and whoever you know in the ownership of the Raptors. You know, they you know if if we're not owned by the people we work for in that in such a sense. Then they shouldn't be owned. They definitely shouldn't be owned by the people they work for, especially given all the money and the resources that they have, that they earned as a as professional athletes. So it, it really doesn't make sense that we still have this whole dynamic as established in society and the way that we depict it in the media and such. We should you know as as an outlet ourselves. We sh- we really should, you know, just as we stop using, you know, we try not to use uh, ethnic slurs, you know, for that are used for uh, mascots and, and team logos, you know, such as the Washington football team, we don't use their name. We shouldn't really use the names of, we shouldn't even use the term owner. You know, we can, we can uh, on our own stop using owner and just, and call uh, people, people who own, who have the larger shares of teams. Um, you know, we call them chairmen or CEOs or whatever. You know, we can't really call them presidents because president is an established term within, uh, you know, uh, front offices in, in the NBA. And to that point, when we look at the front offices in the NBA, there's only one African-American who was a president of a team, and that's Masai Ujiri in Toronto. But that's another issue when we talk about the re- the relationship between uh, people of color, the black people, black men who so who for every generation they form the, the majority of the NBA in this workforce. How many of these people are even advancing to middle management, let alone management, you know, a complete management? which is what you have with the CEOs or chairmen and quote-unquote owners. It's, it's, a, it's really a tough situation that we, that uh, these players are, are having in front of them, and nothing much is being done to change that, not in in the near future. We have to, we have to really look into that and as well, and I would, I would encourage the NBA to look into that as well, along with looking into changing these terms, which I, I say is significant, but in the end, they're really just semantics. And semantics can be changed pretty easily if we just put in a little work as, like I said, as media, as a society, and the NBA as a corporate entity. They can, you know, endorse, they can easily endorse tomorrow the, uh, the term the, the 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 ongoing term terminology of chairman or CEO or whatever, as opposed to ownership. So that's uh that's all I gotta say there. No, you hit it right on. You 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 basically said the right stuff. Um, it can be done, and we just gotta move forward into this progressive stage to where we have to understand where terms come from. That's where owners came from. And the term owner came from that historical. Um, 
negative aspects that became part of our society uh, to lead us to where we are now. So as long as we understand where these terms come from and understand that what they contribute to, we can utilize that as a better understanding to make the progressive changes that we need, especially within terms for specific positions and offices and including the diversity aspect that, that, you, that you know, we've been talking about, not just within ownership, not just within, you know, large, larger shareholders of the, of the teams or franchises, but within the office management positions as well. And, and hey, well, just, just before you go on, Josh, uh, you know, I think the thing is, it, it, I think, it, and and we, there probably will be some pushback along these lines because it it can't be confusing because, I in 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 a lot of ways, you know, you look at a Steve Ballmer or a, a Jerry Reinsdorf or a Mark Cuban, they do own, a, they do own things in regards to these franchises. They own intellectual property. They own stadiums. They own literal they they own they there is things that they literally own but they're but they don't own people they own you know i they own certain ideas they own certain properties but they like i said they don't own people so it's a matter of you know if you're talking about who owns a facility or who owns a stadium you know that you can use ownership who who owns a logo you know, you can own a logo, but you can't own a person. You can't own an athlete. You can't own, you can't own a secretary. You can't own a, you know, a, a general manager. You can't own a, uh, a usher at the stadium, but you can own the stadium. So it's just, like I said, it's just terminology. It's, it's semantics. We got, we have to train ourselves in a lot of ways to make sure that we don't cross that line and, and get into these retro, these retrograde terms that demean people, and you know whether you're talking about the athletes themselves or or the people who uh, who sell hot dogs at the games. It, it doesn't matter it, whoever you're talking about in that, in that regard. People don't own people, and that's that's what we have to guard against. No, that's true. That's true. We got to get out of that concept and focus on the fact that we individuals are our own people. We are our own brands. And we can do what we have to do to better ourselves. And that's one of the things that make the NBA so unique compared to other professional leagues because they understand that. The NBA is a players-driven league. And with the freedom that they have through um, the understanding of Adam Silver and the um, and his team working with the owners, well, the largest shareholders of the, of the franchises and the, NBA, and the players' association, to work with them to give them the freedoms that they need and want to express to thrive within this league. That's what makes the NBA so unique. Players utilizing that they have their own brands and they are they make they can make decisions for themselves to better themselves, to improve themselves and be in better situations that over historically over time has not always been the case for certain uh, athletes. And a lot of it has to go to, you know, we have to thank LeBron James for it. Um, LeBron James has been a huge advocate for his own brand, creating his own brand and doing what's best for him. And with, and if he didn't make that decision to leave Cleveland and go to Miami to create the big three with Chris Bosh and D-Wade and win the titles 
and to improve his legacy and come back to fulfill the legacy that he needed to fulfill and bring in Cleveland that championship, it just it changes the whole. You, you may not see many athletes in those type of positions today to where they can be outspoken, to have platforms to where they can speak up for themselves and demand respect in certain ways that not many professional leagues or other professional leagues can really relate and or even allow. So it, take, it took a lot to even get to this point, and I'm glad that we're considering still on the path of doing more to aid this these types of issues. But at the end of the day, it's it boils down to what represents your brand. And within the league, from a front office and quote-unquote ownership standpoint, there's not much diversity within those offices and within those positions, especially from an African-American standpoint. And this brings up the topic of discussion that, quite frankly, isn't always talked about when it comes to this. And people um, within this article are focusing on the term ownership. But there's more to it than that. There's the demographic of the fact that, you know, not many people like us are represented in the front office and quote-unquote ownership positions to where we can have a lot of say-so, to where we can do these things. We're just viewed as athletes or players that just are just randomly outspoken. And we, that needs to change. We need more representation of that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's, let's, transition a little bit. We, we already talked uh, a bit about game three that happened. Uh, we talked in the context of the, the incident that happened with the the uh, part owner of the Warriors and Kyle Lowry. And, uh, you know, Kyle was given, you know, he was finally living up to the name, you know, Josh. He was given, given a lot of buckets on, on Golden State in game three. And, you know, the, the Toronto was doing that overall giving buckets to the to those Warriors, man, even though, uh, you know, Steph tried to hold them up as much as he could, but it, it's, you know, without Clay on the court and without, you know, all these other players that they're missing, Looney and uh, KD, of course, you know, it seems like the Warriors are just as much of a one-man team as we expect, as we suspected Toronto to be with Kawhi entering the series. You know, but Kawhi's getting the support. You know, Fred Van Vliet is balling, Siakam's balling, you know, Gasol has had two good games out of three, and, you know, Toronto's doing that thing, and they're up 2-1. They're two games away from, from a championship here, you know, and do you, do you think that they can finish it off? I don't think I, I don't think they can finish it off. I think this series is going to go at least six games. Um, the key to game three basically was the worst was to, I mean the Raptors were basically did what they were supposed to do if you don't have Klay Thompson and KD on the same court at the same time I would expect you to win that game too um, not to mention with all the other injuries we talked about in previous times how the bench even though the bench has showed up when they needed to show up for the most part it's not the strongest bench that the Warriors have had in, re- in within their dynasty I many could argue this year could be their weakest so um, it's showing, and it's showing. Not saying that the Warriors reserves can't play because clearly that they can play. They've shown them key moments when it's time to lock in. They can lock in, but even at the best, locking in, it's just not enough. And when you're missing key guys like you, like we mentioned before, KD and Clay, who play a very intricate role in your offense, and more specifically Clay, because he's not just an offensive shooter, 
that can basically score from anywhere on the court is also your best two-way, one of your best two-way players, and he guards your best defender. So, uh, I mean, he's your best defender guarding the um, opponent's best offensive player. So, to lose Clay as value for his value on not just the offensive and de- but defensive ends, you're going to struggle a lot. And it, quite frankly, that's what happened to the Warriors in Game Three. They were just run down. They just couldn't keep up with what the Raptors had on their side of the, on their side of the ball. And like you mentioned, Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry, finally showing up in big moments within this series, and he has lived up to his name. Danny Green is typical Danny uh, Finals Danny Green, where he's shooting the ball lights out. Siakam, yeah, has, yeah Siakam has showed up. Marcus all like you said, two out of three games has showed up, he, and Kawhi's getting the support that he need, that he truly needs to get over the hump, no matter who's on that Warriors team. Um, so, and another thing to highlight too briefly is the Warriors isn't it, they're not as out of sync or that far out of sync as they as we you know thought they could be. Just typically because of the fact that even though they lost this game, game three by, I want to say between 12 to 15 points, they were relatively close and they kept the game close all the way up until midway through the fourth quarter. Um, there were times where they actually had that game down to five point leads or five point deficits per se against this Raptors team. So because of that, it shows that the Raptors still have a long way to go from a maturity standpoint when it comes to big finals moments. And this is, but this is why you made the trade for Kawhi Leonard to show and improve on that, and bringing guys like Danny Green that had that championship pedigree to show that when times are tough, and you're in moments like this where Steph is going off, and he's the only one on the court that they can't stop, and they're keeping the game within a five-point range, you have guys like Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green to step up in those big moments and basically reel the team into the direction that needs to go. So you got to get you got to tip your hats off to the Raptors, um, especially head coach Nick Nurse. The defensive schemes that they had, especially early on in the first two games, within the first two games against the Warriors, was was pretty much on on point. Um, and the players have stepped up when they needed to step up. That's what it boils down to at the end of the game. Game four is going to be a little different because you got Clay Thompson coming back. So hopefully Clay can be healthy enough to where he can contribute. And be the Clay Thompson of old, and really help Steph Curry in that backcourt to give him some more help. And because at this point, with the banged up Boogie Cousins and a not strong enough bench from a talent, pers- I mean, not from from a talent perspective, that's the best ch- hope that the Warriors have at this point from even keep from keeping this series close and hopefully stretching it to where. You can get us to a sixth or seventh game to where you can increase the chances of bringing KD back to help with this next, with the continue, hopefully continue this Warriors run. Yeah, that's pretty much the position they're in right now. They're playing sort of the stall out, the, you know, what has to be inevitable return of KD at this point, because I really don't know if they're going to win this series without him playing that in any role. You know, I think, you know, Clay coming back, whether he does it Friday or whatever, is going to be huge, of course. But he may still not be – it's not likely he's going to be 100%. And, you know, we don't know what effect that's going to have on his his shooting. It may have lesser effect on the shooting, but it will probably have more of an effect on his defending, on his getting out in transition and doing the things that he needs to do with his legs that – 
you know, that allows him to be that so-called Iron Man that that people have given credit for being. You know, you know, uh, uh, the storyline with him, of course, being that he hadn't he hadn't missed a playoff game in in these five years leading up to uh, Game Three, but now that's changed, and you know, we just we just got to see how beat up is he going to be. He's going to play the rest of the series beat up in a, in a sense, you know, and. Yeah, you know, I, I, like you say, you know, much much credit has to be given to Toronto. They've played well. They've strategized well. The effort has been amazing, and they're not, like I said, they're not letting to uh, those they give anything out. I, you know, I think, and they they haven't been able to pull away from Golden State and really dominate them. But at the same time, Golden State may be. If if Iguodala doesn't hit that shot in Game Two, they may be down three zero in this series. So it's 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 really not a thing where Golden State is is really at any advantage right now. They have to fight to survive. And uh, Friday is going to be a uh, you know an interesting uh, you know today I should say <laughs> uh, it, should, it should be an interesting uh, battle to see you know just how this series is going to pivot. You know, will Game Five be another game where it's up in the air and they're, and, they're, and both teams are grabbing at and uh, momentum that's available for them, or will it be uh, the will it be the uh, Warriors trying to stave off elimination? You know, and that'll be an amazing thing to see. We haven't seen that really from that team since uh, sixteen. And uh, the, you know uh, when they came back both that year on uh, Oklahoma, and uh, and you know they were they were battling for Game Seven with the Cavaliers. You know we haven't seen them this desperate in a long time. So I'm I'm really interested to see how Game Four plays out, and uh, you know how uh, you know what reaction if any are we going to get from those role players. And or, or, you know, are we going to see even more from Curry in the face of that, uh, you know, that desperation? So, it, you know, he, he gave a career high and uh, playoff career high in game three, but it wasn't enough. So what else can you get from him that's going to be enough? You know, he, he, it can, may not just, it can't, may not land on him the way that that they want. You know, they gonna they're gonna need something else and and something else even beyond the return of Thompson and the return of Durant. So I'm looking to see what that's gonna be. Yeah, it's gonna be really interesting. It's gonna be really interesting. This is gonna like you said, this is gonna test the fate of what the war is really about. Um can they step up in ways that we know they have the potential to do? Or is it gonna be one of those things where you have from a finals perspective, like the Los Angeles Lakers and, and the Detroit Pistons, where the Lakers were basically, basically banged up from top to bottom from an injury perspective, and the Pistons just came in and swept them. Uh, you may be wondering if we're going to have another one of those type of final series um, to where we're literally seeing the end of a dynasty. And it may be in the fashion that, we ne- that no one really predicted or really thought could ever happen because the Warriors have been so dominant for all these years. You know, it's it's just an interesting way to see that how that might go down. But that was the same way with the Lakers when they lost to the Pistons. So, you know, you said you ain't talking about eighty nine, right? Right. You're gonna lose. 
you know, you you talking like you an old school dude, man. You you ain't you ain't that old. I'm glad you ain't gonna reference that though. That's yeah, that that was the case in that series, and and that's you can you can argue it was it was part of the the case in '91 too, which was actually the which was the very last time the Lakers made it uh, in the finals. Uh, you know, for about nine years. Uh, you know, until Kobe and Shaq. You know, in '91, they also were dealing with not having uh, James Worthy. Without him having that partner in crime, they, uh, you know, they weren't able to match up with Michael and Scotty the way that they needed to. So that's it's definitely going to be uh, interesting again to see uh, how, you know, could this be the, the the fading out of the dynasty, or will it be just another uh, planting of the flag of? Golden State is one of the best teams of all time. But uh, yeah, that's gonna be it for now, Josh. Man, another uh, another week of uh, hot opinions from you, man. Thanks for thanks for talking and letting us know what's going what's on your mind and what's gonna be uh, written this week by you on uh, on in the scope. Um, we'll uh, we'll be back soon. I guess we'll be back. Uh, next week, if if not next week soon, you know, kind of taking a little bit easy here in the summer. But we definitely gonna be uh, back with some opinions on the finals in the NBA as we uh, you know get closer to the end of the, of things here. We'll we'll see how the series plays out. If, if we got to drop a, an emergency podcast or something along the way, we'll we'll try to do that just so that we'll have the. You know all the opinions that you guys need, and all the uh, the breakdowns that you guys need as uh, we try to make sense of what hap- what happens here between Toronto and Golden State. And there's also, uh, of course, the the uh, the draft coming up and stuff. We'll you know we're getting closer to that, so we'll speak some more on that coming soon. You know what are the Bulls going to do? What are all these these top teams going to do? As a matter of fact. Let's shout out Scoop, who uh, gave you a bit of a bit of a buzz today, a bit of a, a nice platform for your, you know, the, the whole D'Angelo to Chicago thing that you've been pushing. You know, uh, it seems like the dominoes are starting to fall a little bit there with with Kyrie, man. I don't, I don't know. Did you put a bug in Kyrie's ear or something, man, about going to Brooklyn? Man, I should be asking Scoop that. <laughs> But, yeah, major shout-out to Scoop, man. We've been talking about, like, you know, we've been talking about this, I want to say since February, March or February, about this idea of the Bulls should be going after D'Angelo Russell, bearing that Kyrie Irving uh, does go to Brooklyn. And if he brings another uh, free agent to go with him, which today the Brooklyn Nets made official and made it a, a reality that that could actually happen now with this Allen Crabb trade. So, with them trading Alec Crab, they now have two max slots. So, they can either keep D'Angelo Russell and sign a, a max free agent, which most likely will be Kyrie at this point, according to reports. Or, you can basically let, they may let D'Angelo Russell go and sign potentially Kyrie and another big superstar to go with them. So, like you said, the dominoes are coming into effect, it seems like, uh, the weary future of whether D'Angelo Russell is going to stay in net and whether Kyrie's going to come to the Nets and if he does come to the Nets, is anyone else coming with him?
Um, with all that coming into mind, De- and D'Angelo Russell may be available. The Bulls should be, the Bulls have to be thinking right now with the idea of not potentially drafting a point guard in this draft. They got to do something this offseason. And with the cast space that they have, it may be enough to get D'Angelo Russell their long term. We'll see. But the Bulls have to be thinking right now. This is a potential uh, opportunity that we they just can't miss out on, especially when it comes to with D'Angelo being a, a restricted free agent. You gotta go after somebody like that. So yeah, the tough the tough thing though is that there's gonna be a lot of competition. And you know, the Bulls don't do well with competition for players. So that's that's the one thing that I'm worried about as a as a Bulls fan and observer. Like you know, they got to get out there and and make a. They got to make a either make a deal or really impress Russell as he gets out there on the market because you know they're going to be other teams that are going to want him. He's an all star now. He's a, a he's a guy who's proven himself to be quite a a, a, a playmaker and and a scorer at the at the guard position, the point guard position, and. That's something that is in bold throughout the league. So, you know, I've 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 heard about other situations like, like you know, and 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 just as, just as an objective uh, observer of the NBA, I've you know hearing about him maybe going to an Indiana. That really that's that's like man, that would be a, a hell of a backcourt there. I just have to say that because you know thinking of him and and Oladipo. You know, the hip, you know, Russell in, in Milwaukee, that's a, that's a, that could be a great situation. But when you look at situations like that, those will be two situations that where, again, the Bulls will be dealt a disadvantage because not only would he be, you know, not on the Bulls, he'd be playing in the same division and, and giving buckets to the Bulls multiple times a year. So, uh, and, you know, there's, and, you know, there's other situations across the league too where, you know, Russell could go in and be a very much an impact player next year. So it's like, you know, we definitely are rooting for this to happen. I'm rooting for you to be right. But man, the whole thing, this whole thing in Brooklyn now is really form, formenting a, a power shift in the league potentially. Because you, like you said, that other player that could, that could end up in Brooklyn with Kyrie most most people are looking at to be Kevin Durant. So if you got Kevin Durant and Kyrie going to Brooklyn, you know, what's Brooklyn then? Brooklyn is the favorites in the East now. And and that happened overnight. You know, you, you really see that happening overnight after being not too long ago being a laughing stock team. So you got that going on. You got, like I say, the impact of where Russell ends up going, be that the Bulls or whatever team. You know, it's it's just like I said, this this offseason is gonna be crazy, man. And you know, whatever happens in Brooklyn and, and because of Brooklyn, you know, uh, we we're gonna see something uh get changing the really changing the game happening probably by the end of uh this month and turning into July when the free agency really kicked off. Yeah, man. It's definitely something to something we have to I'm excited I can't wait for July 1st to come I wish it was already here I'm ready to get this thing jumping so I'm, I'm already excited for it I can't wait to watch the draft to see what, see what the teams are going to do and from a Bulls perspective um, something that we also 
quite frankly, like you said, the Bulls have to be aggressive and going after guys like D'Angelo Russell. We have to be aggressive no matter what the competition is. We have to go out there and give our best. But something that could help us is the hiring of Chris Fleming, the new lead assistant, because he helped develop D'Angelo Russell to this point. And now that he's leaving Brooklyn to come to Chicago, and you have a guy like Roy White who we just hired, who is relatively respected all throughout the NBA, we have assets now to where, from a coaching standpoint, D'Angelo Russell can look at us and say, you know what, that may be something I want to consider, especially since I have a liaison. I have someone that I have a relationship with and a rapport with on a day-to-day basis that I grew and my game developed under to potentially transfer that to and make my transition easier if I was to choose to go to Chicago. So we have yeah. we have some type of leeway to basically possibly persuade them to come if the Nets obviously don't make a deal or don't plan to match his offer sheet. But like, yeah. but like you said, it's all about how much the Bulls are going to go hard after him and they have to sell him in a competition where, quite frankly, especially within our division, has a high chance of even getting D'Angelo Russell to play uh, to play for our opposing teams. We got to go hard for him. And that's something that, like, like you're, you're treading, I'm really treading over myself as to whether the, whether the Bulls really have it in their mindset to really do. Yeah, but like you say, those hires, those coaching hires do show a bit more of, of intelligence and and a, a, they, they show more of a plan than the Bulls typically have in regards to these sort of things. So maybe, maybe we can give them the benefit of the doubt here. And, you know, and maybe they are at least making an effort, you know, and not, not just hoping that they luck into something. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. And like I said, you know, you'll hear, you'll definitely hear more for us uh, as, as the time comes, uh, as we get closer to the draft and closer to free agency and definitely uh, when when things fall together and, and we see what winds up happening, we'll have, uh, you know, we'll have some opinions on that and, and get those out to you as fast as you can. So that's uh, that's your man, Josh Hicks, on the line. I'm Kyle Means, as always. You know, holler at us. If you like what we do, share us, rate us, give us love. Show us love and we'll show it right back, man. We are radio.com. War Media, War on Anchor. You know, uh, join the movement, man. Get down or lay down. Cause we just uh we just getting started, y'all. All right? Yeah, I'll let you next week.